Hello and welcome to the latest Lancet podcast. I'm Richard Lane and it's Thursday, February the 28th, 2019. In this week's podcast, we're discussing inter-pregnancy interval, the time, in other words, that women should be advised or should consider when planning their next pregnancy. And the paper that we're about to discuss looks specifically at a very much unexplored, under-researched area concerning women who are wanting to become pregnant in the future, but who have had experience of previous stillbirth. Let's find out more from one of the authors of the paper, Annette Regan, who is Assistant Professor in the School of Public Health at A&M University in Houston, Texas, in the United States. And I began by asking Annette to summarize how previous research has helped or not in giving the context to this important issue confronting many women worldwide. There are recommendations which were developed as part of a technical consultation on birth spacing, uh, which was led by the World Health Organization in 2005. And during this consultation, the the group of experts, uh, they reviewed the existing evidence on birth spacing and, and how it might impact maternal and child health. And they came to two separate conclusions, one of which was that an interval greater than 24 months presented the lowest risk of a few things, maternal and perinatal mortality, preterm delivery, small gestational age, and, and low birth rate. The second conclusion they came to is that an interval greater than six months after a miscarriage or a medical termination was associated with the uh, lower risk of these same outcomes as well as um, some other things like maternal complications in their next pregnancy. So based on these conclusions, they set uh, some recommendations that individuals should wait at least 24 months after a live birth and six months after a miscarriage or termination until conceiving again in order to promote healthy pregnancies. But it's important to note that this review was based on the existing evidence at the time, so that would have been 2005. Um, and a lot of these studies were from low and middle income countries and they didn't specifically focus on pregnancies following a stillbirth. So these guidelines didn't provide any direct recommendation for people who may be planning a pregnancy after experiencing a stillbirth. What do you think the underlying physiological reasons were? So we don't really know the reasons why the risk of certain pregnancy outcomes might have been influenced by a shorter time between pregnancies, but there are a few hypotheses that have been put forward. The one that's most commonly cited is that of maternal depletion syndrome. What this theory states is that women who conceive after a relatively short period of time, they maybe don't have enough time to recover important micro and macronutrients, and as a result of this, they enter their next pregnancy depleted and may be more prone to less healthy pregnancies. And this depletion can be further exacerbated by breastfeeding following the, the previous pregnancy. However, at present, there really is limited evidence outlining a causal pathway between interpregnancy interval and poor pregnancy outcomes. So we do need some, some more work to identify the, the mechanisms um, underlying this. The salient point here, of course, is that concerning women who have had stillbirth, there's very little evidence around at all to guide women who have had stillbirth. So what evidence, if any, exists surrounding the, the, the question of stillbirth? And, and link that, obviously, to, to what the aims were of your study, which obviously is looking specifically at the stillbirth question. There have been a number of studies that have looked at the risk of stillbirth associated with interpregnancy intervals, so following a previous birth. And, and these have found that the, the risk is elevated if conception occurs within six months following a previous birth. But there's very little evidence looking at intervals after a stillbirth. And 
we're aware based on the technical consultation by World Health Organization that the optimal time to conceive may not be the same depending on the outcome of the previous pregnancy. So we felt this was an important gap to address, especially given families who experience a stillbirth are likely to seek advice on, on how long they should wait until becoming pregnant again. And they may also be especially sensitive to ways that might reduce their chances of having a poor outcome in their next pregnancy. So our study aimed to compare the occurrence of birth outcomes for pregnancies who conceived after different intervals um, with the hope of providing some initial evidence for these families. And your study, it's a large observational study. I can see from the paper you've got populations in Australia where I know you, you've been working until quite recently and also in Scandinavia. Could you just outline briefly how this study was done, touching on the methodology? So to specifically look at interval following a stillbirth, we first collected information from all the recorded births in Western Australia, Norway, and Finland over a 36-year period between 1980 and 2016. And based on these birth records, records, we were able to identify 14,000 pregnancies that followed a previous stillbirth. We were then able to calculate the interpregnancy interval based on the number of months between the previous birth and conception. And within each country, we compared the odds of having another stillbirth, a preterm birth, or a small for gestational birth in their next pregnancy by interpregnancy interval. We used a 24 to 59 month interval as our comparison group or our reference category because this is the current World Health Organization recommendation for interpregnancy interval after a live birth. And we then used a meta-analysis to estimate a combined or a, a pooled estimate across the three countries. And overall, we found that in each country, individuals they tended to conceive quite quickly after a stillbirth, so more than 60% had conceived again within 12 months. When we compared outcomes from others who conceived within 12 months following a stillbirth to those who conceived two to three years after a stillbirth, this was not associated with future risk of having another stillbirth, a preterm birth, a small for gestational age birth in their in their next pregnancy. And we also found no difference based on whether the stillbirth occurred at term or, or earlier in pregnancy. The main result is clear, as you've just spelled out, actually, so that pregnancy fairly shortly after stillbirth did not seem to increase risk as far as, far as you know. How does this differ from what little research there is around this area concerning stillbirth and next pregnancy? There's not really much in the previous literature specific to interpregnancy interval after a stillbirth, which we can compare our results to. But we do know that these results somewhat contradict what we see with regard to studies that have looked at interpregnancy interval following a live birth, which have shown uh, there's an increased risk of preterm birth and, and stillbirth following short intervals less than six months, which we didn't find in our study. And in fact, our results are more consistent with those of uh, recent studies of interpregnancy interval following a miscarriage, which have shown that short intervals are perhaps not associated with any increased risk of, of poor perinatal outcomes. Uh, so given the, the really limited evidence at the moment, we think it would be really helpful for future studies to also look at interpregnancy interval after a stillbirth so that this could provide some further data for comparison to, to our study. Just on your study, of course, it, it is a large study um, and it is an observational study. With these large observational studies, there are always inherent weaknesses and you have to counter for those. Can you just 
talk through how you managed to to balance out some of the potential weaknesses when when looking at the data. You're right. This was an observational study, and so we can't really know with certainty that there wasn't some influence of uncontrolled compounding in our results. Uh, and we do know that individuals who conceive quickly after pregnancy, they tend to be quite different to those who take a longer um, time period to conceive. They tend to be uh, more commonly young mothers, mothers who started childbearing later in life and higher parity births. So we did control for these factors in our analysis, but of course there are other potential confounders which are a little less straightforward to adjust for. Um, so these would be things like underlying fertility and pregnancy intention, which we were unfortunately unable to measure in, in our data sets. So as a result, we couldn't control for this. In the past five years, there have been several interesting papers which have suggested that the effective interval on pregnancy outcomes may be much smaller than we have previously thought, and that some of the observations we've, we've made have been due to uncontrolled compounding. And given we can't really turn to randomized trials for sure. interpregnancy interval research, we have to rely on observational designs, which makes this a, a somewhat difficult area to study. Um, so I definitely think there's room for further research, which can account for a wider range of, of confounders and, and in a large sample of mothers, and potentially apply some novel techniques for, for addressing these potential biases. And you think the design of your study, observational though it is, should almost be a bit like a, t um, a, t a template or a protocol for other observational studies, so that any new data that comes along from further research can be easily comparable or generalizable or potentially factored in with your data? Yes, I think it would be helpful to define things in the same way to account for at least the same factors that we were able to account for, and if possible, to even account for additional things that, that other investigators might be able to, to measure. Is it too early to advise women based on, on these data from your study, and it, given the fact, that, as you've already outlined, that clearly this is a, diff a difficult area to, to research in, and there's a paucity of data until your studies come along. Do we have enough evidence from, from, from these data in your study to, to alter guidelines, or do we need more research first? So as you say, this, this is just one study, and while we think it provides some initial evidence for countries that would be similar to Australia, Norway, and Finland, our health systems are very unique, as are our populations. So I think it'll be important for future research to explore interpregnancy interval following stillbirth in other settings and populations. But in the meantime, as we mentioned, we found no evidence for increased risk of um, adverse outcomes for shorter intervals after a previous stillbirth. And so at least in our setting, this might provide some initial evidence that individuals or couples who want to become pregnant quickly, uh, which we found most did, that there may be uh, no harm in this. In addition to supporting families, we also hope that this might help clinicians when advising their patients who have experienced a stillbirth. Um, so recently, an obstetrician told me that the very first question his patients will ask him is, when can I start trying again? We are hoping that in combination with very much needed future research, that this can help to support clinicians like him when they're faced with answering this question. So overall, even though the evidence around interpregnancy interval continues to evolve and, and we do need more research, I think the language that the World Health Organization used in their 2005 uh, recommendations to still really relevant. So you, they stated that individuals should consider a variety of factors in parallel with 
with research. So also thinking about any health risks and other circumstances that might impact family planning, like age and desired family size, access to health services and childcare, their social and economic circumstances, and especially in the context of stillbirth, emotional readiness to try again when deciding on the best time for their next pregnancy. Absolutely, because as you said, often the issues are multi multifaceted and complex and emotional as well. But that's, of course, ultimately it is down to the choice of the individual. So any advice that is given, which could include these relatively new findings, is just one thing that would have to be weighed up among many other, uh, other considerations as well. Exactly. It's a very interesting study and clearly a, a, a little bit of a first in its kind. I know we shouldn't say that too often, but um, it's going to be very interesting <laughs> to see what follows in turn, terms of follow-up research to this. And does your own research um, program have uh, plans to follow up in this specific area with the work you're doing at the moment? We're still active, very much active in the um, endopregnancy interval space. We are doing some work uh, to explore this in low and middle income countries using some additional uh, data sets. And I'm also interested in looking at this in the United States, which has a very different health system and compared to Australia, a a much more diverse population. So we are interested in in conducting similar studies in, in different settings. Great. Well, it's a terrific area for research, a fascinating area of research as well. And we need lots more data, so carry on the good work. In the meantime, Annette Regan on the line from Houston, Texas, in the United States. Thanks very much indeed for talking to The Lancet. Thanks for having me, Richard.